Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Friday in Miami, 96 to 92. Many, many things happened in that game, even outside of Scott Foster. And there are many things to look forward to as the next head in the offseason. We will do all of that in today's episode. But before that, say it with me. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs but online is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs basketball baseball hockey all the way to ufc and boxing they left out soccer but i'm sure you can bet on that too there but online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use their promo code, 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 believe, B-L-E. Welcome bonus on your first deposit, bet online, where the game starts. Um, before we get into games and, and everything relevant, if you had an experience at all similar to me watching that game, so... I had friends who are Nick fans and Heat fans who were both convinced that Scott Scott Foster was there to either end their season or prolong it. Um, And during the game, I thought it was a pretty normal, normally officiated game. But like, like I would not say that I subscribe to the idea that there is an out there. There's a cement strong conspiracy where the league has the refs do certain things. But I will say that when Scott Foster, I think in the fourth quarter, is calling lane violations that like no one has seen before, like ever, like a double lane violation to knock a Brunson free throw away, it gets. It, do you ever see things happen and be like, okay, yeah? Because when they called the, sometimes they would make calls in the Knicks' favors, and I would think like, do they want a game seven? Like, where do you fall on that? Do you think it ever? Is a thing? Do you think Tim Donaghy was a lone wolf? Like, what do you make of all that? Um, I definitely think Tim Donaghy was a lone wolf. Um, hmm. Look, I, I the league takes this very seriously. Integrity. It's going to get even more serious with gambling. With them now getting into bed with with gambling, right? Let's. That's a source of the league isn't making any revenue off of that, but um, that is that builds interest in the game. It's going to be huge, right? Um, I actually, I was lucky enough to attend, um, well, I, I attended David Stern's funeral, um, so I'm not lucky in the sense that I, I didn't want him to pass or something, but... Uh, well, you, were, you were luckier than he was that day. Yeah, well, I got to see a lot of people, a lot of esteemed people speak about him. One of them, uh, to bring it back to the series, was Pat Riley, and he was talking about a game when he was the coach of the Knicks, and he really lit into the officiating in the post game. 
um, in his trademark style. And he talked about how he got an extremely angry phone call from, from Stern the next day. Um, and, you know, it, it is something the league takes very seriously. So as someone who constantly complains about the refs, I have never been at the point where I think the refs fix a game. I think there are certain players who they give more of a benefit of the doubt to. Um, and I think because you think that's organic to them or because like, do you think that's in accord with what the league is Michael Jordan getting calls because the league is happy. Michael Jordan is getting calls or is that just a coincidence? Um, that's a really good question. I would say a coincidence. Look, the better players are going to draw fouls. I'm not even talking about Michael Jordan. I'm talking about guys like Kyle Lowry, right? I mean, this isn't a star player at this point in his career. Um, and he's able to get away with certain things. And part of it is more experienced players know what the refs are looking for. Um, to the extent that it's organic to a specific referee, I'd say every person has biases and, um, Every person is human, and, and with some, those might be a little bit more pronounced. And um, and there probably are some subconscious biases where if you think one team is better, right? Um, even, I mean, these are highly trained, you know, the best referees in basketball. Um, that is going to come out in some ways. Uh, and it's unfortunate, um, but um, it, it's the same in every sport, right? If a team has a reputation for being a great offensive line, they're probably not going to get called for holding penalties and they probably know how to get away with it too. Um, so the thing is this though, right? Like, so I, I my answer, the, the shorter the answer is the league takes it very seriously. I don't think there's any um, explicit bias or certainly fixing or anything like that. I think there are implicit biases um, that every human has um, and every ref has and they probably come out and, um, and, you know, experience matters there. Like, I don't think it's coincidence that the guys that get away with stuff tend to be a little bit older. Um, you know, uh, so so I, I think that having said all that, when people say there's some conspiracy and all, I don't buy all of that. I think there are specific, there are biases that are specific to each ref. There are strengths that are specific to each ref. Um, what I, what kind of annoys me though is, you know, it's one thing for sports writers to say, and I get it. Sports writers don't want to lose access, and 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 it, it's very it, it is important to people, not just the league, but to us as fans, that the like that a result shouldn't have an asterisk, right? Whether your team wins or lose, you don't want to you don't want to say that the integrity was was questioned or whatever. So I get why there's often these adamant like people hate all of the complaining about refs. What I don't necessarily, but what I what I don't want it here is well, um, you know, it didn't have any effect on the game, right? Or in the long run it evens out. Uh, that's where it's like, well, come, everything affects the game. The smallest thing affects the game, right? So if there, you can say it was a bad call, but there wasn't any conspiracy. It was just the refs are human. I get that. And that is part of, you can say it's part of the game. Missed calls and, and calls going the other way and calls going your way. But when it, but not every call is, is equally the same. And, you know, I, I had, you know, I had an interaction with someone who said, you know, in the long run, some calls go your way, some calls go the other way. Yeah, but if it's the Super Bowl or if it's a playoff game, and it's a call with one minute left in the fourth quarter versus, you know, you can't say that, well, it'll come back to you in some meaningless Tuesday game in Charlotte. Right. Um, so that is like, so my, I think what the conversation is, it's fine to say there's no, cons- I don't think there's conspiracy. I don't think there's any fixing that goes on. Uh, I think if the league really wanted to maximize its revenue, it would have made sure that Warriors Lakers series went seven games. Um, so I, I don't, um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I also think that people have the right to to bring up that there are officiating errors, and 
And that is a way for the league to improve. That's why they released the two-minute report. Um, so it's okay to, to admit that these calls affect games while also saying it's part of the game. And, um, and there's really beyond just continuing to train the referees better to emphasize consistency. There's not that much that you can do. These two-minute reports are killing me. I've never really cared about them, and I've never really thought that they mean much because there's never action that comes from them. I hadn't even realized that. I, I didn't think the last two minutes of the game that the Knicks got screwed by all these foul calls, and then the league comes out today with the two-minute report, and there's three different calls that went either for Miami or against the Knicks that shouldn't have, I think including maybe on the Brunson turnover, and all it does is is angry up the blood. Like I don't I don't know what the point is of releasing. This is like if the police admitted, like, yeah, okay, we did use excessive force, but there's no consequence from it. Like what? All that's gonna do is piss people off to know, like, yeah, we screwed up. Nothing you can do about it. I I don't need to know. I don't need to know they made three bad calls in the last two minutes because now <laughs> I was over the game and now I'm like, well, wait a minute, should I? Anyway, we will not talk about the rest. Um, let's talk about the game itself and any extrapolations that you took from it. You mentioned before about um, Lowry, and, and one of the moments that I took as a very happy positive from the game was there was a play, I think, very shortly after Lowry had gotten away with some crap where um, Barrett kind of caught him, like on a hook. Like he, Barrett got caught in him and was able to get Lowry called for the hook, and it was a very, like, kind of gamesmanship play by Barrett. I was proud to see it. I was proud to see the 22-year-old getting one over on the 37-year-old. And in a larger sense, imagining how much players like Barrett, and I mean, Brunson maybe also, he, he seems to have it all figured out, but just thinking of how many things Barrett learned playing six games against the Heat in the playoffs that he'll be able to apply in the future is, I think, an underrated perk of, of the season. Yeah, I mean... Uh it was difficult for me to maintain this perspective during the game. Um, I also, I, I watched the Sixers and Celtics the day before and was very unimpressed with both teams. And, you know, the way the Knicks had looked in game five, I really was like, man, if they can pull this off, it's wide open. You know, it really, it still feels like, I mean, right now, if I had to pick a team, I'd probably pick the winner of that Lakers Nuggets series. Um, but like every team that's left has a chance, including these heat, by the way. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it, it, it was tough to be, but like what I had said before, I, I saw what I needed to see from this team that differentiates this from, you know, that, that Hawks loss, even that Pacers Knicks loss a few years ago, where they showed in game five that they could get good performances from all of the big three. Um, they could move the ball, uh, they could defend, um, you know, and, and they weren't a team that, you know, once they get pinned down they don't have other ways to to beat you right like in that hawk series really it never felt like that was a competitive battle they the knicks were in this till the end and game five to me i needed to see that especially after how lifeless they were in game four like they proved they belong at this stage going back to rj uh, and, and but beyond that it's also just the val like this is why you don't tank this is why the knicks were willing to, to even trade a draft pick to get josh hart um because you know, they're just, um, they, this is, this is invaluable experience. You, there's always going to be a first time for everything. Um, and so, you know, and, and playoff experience matters, right? It's, it can go beyond talent. I don't think, you know, 
the Chicago Bulls had the greatest player of all time. Um, they had a budding superstar in, in Scottie Pippen. Um, and, you know, but they, they couldn't get over that Detroit Pistons hump even a year or two when it looked like they were the more talented team. Uh, and now I'm not comparing us to the Jordan Bulls, uh, but what I am, or the Knicks to the Jordan Bulls, but what I will say is you, learning, the, every player has talked about going through that, like having that experience, there is, there is no substitute for that. Um, I can't really think of a team that just arrived and won it on their first try. Uh, maybe you can, but the only one, and they don't, and they're, I mean, they're literally exceptional. Is the 07, the 08 Celtics? Um, who, yeah, but that was again. You you don't tend to bring two Hall of Famers into your roster that already has another Hall of Famer and an exceptional young point guard and Ron. Like that's so weird. Um, but and generally, it, it, no. Everybody has to lose once. Everybody always has to lose once. And those were older players. Although it's interesting, they didn't have much like. Garnett was, you know, had a few first round exits with the Timberwolves. Um, you know, Ray Allen had had some postseason experience, uh, including a couple of uh, at least one good series against the Knicks. Right. Um, so, you know, but to your point, yeah, like, but they were they were older players. But yeah, everyone goes through this. Right. Um, you know, and it's usually comes like once you get the talent against the Hawks, there was a clear talent and roster deficit. They've overcome that. I don't think there was a huge talent. I don't. I, I think the last three games, the Knicks had the best player on the floor. Um, and, you know, you can say with defense, maybe Butler is still the better player, but mm-hmm. Brunson looked the part. Um, and in game five, all like everyone showed up, really. Um, so it, it's invaluable experience. Going back to R.J. Barrett, we saw him produce at a, at a, at a an almost star level. Um, he looked like... And it wasn't. It was also the way he played off of Brunson. Uh, I think there's real chemistry brewing there. Um, it didn't really happen in, in Game Six. Um, I think they need to make a conscious effort to keep RJ involved because he's not really a guy you give the ball to and get out of the way. You like him coming off those side handoffs, those side pick and rolls, or playing off Brunson and traps. Uh, one thing that's been exceptional to watch is just how crafty RJ is, like where he can use a sliver of space to turn, you know, what's like he's using his length now. Those are, you know, present at the Strickland has talked a lot about RJ using his extension, you know, his gather to both combine his strength as well as to find those slivers of space where he can finish. I thought he was exceptional at that all, um, all playoffs, really. Um, he was also much better at passing out of drives. And I'll add this. So he's great at playing off Brunson traps. He's he's become a much better mover off ball, relocating. Um, I think when he's doing that, I, I, like just anecdotally, it seems like he also shoots the three better. Um, uh, the last thing I'll say is I think it helps him. You know, people have talked about the roster is redundant. You know, you have three left-handed score first players, all that, right? I think RJ really benefits because, you know, he. People have talked about, well, he's not, um, he's ideally a shooting guard because you want him bullying players, right? When, like, guys he struggled against have been guys like Nick Claxton, Franz Wagner, exceptional defenders, but also longer, bigger guys. They put Gabe Vincent on him, who is a feisty defender, and teams, and then the first series, it was, it was Garland, right? Because why? Because teams want to put long wings on Brunson. That gives functionally RJ the matchups you want against smaller players. That's not to take away from him or say that. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not chalking it up to that. Um, he, there was real growth, um, because even when you get downhill, a big problem for him was making the right passes, um, you know, not forcing up bad finishes or even having a functional short mid range game. 
you saw all of that. Um, and, uh, but I will say that it comes in concert because now with him and Brunson out there together, you know, if you put a big wing on Brunson, are you going to put a small guy on RJ? He can exploit that. Right. Um, are you going to, are you going to trap Brunson? He can exploit that. Um, are you going to collapse in the paint? Barrett, he still has a ways to go as a shooter, but there were some good performances and encouraging performances there. So he's really able to amplify what Brunson does. And that to me is as big a takeaway as everything that he showed. Um, and, and a big takeaway for this roster, that's the second big takeaway. My first takeaway from this postseason is the Knicks have a star, the kind of star they've needed, uh, who can deliver playoffs whenever. The second takeaway is that there is at least one young piece who not only is a, is a quality player, but amplifies what that star does. I think I know your answer to this, but I'm going to ask because I'm not sure. After Barrett, um, which of the other young Knicks, you used the word amplify, which of the other young Knicks do you feel most comfortable going into next season would be would help amplify like the things that the team does well the most? Like of all the young players after Barrett, because I'm guessing Barrett is now back to them. I think before the playoffs, I think you said earlier, a lot of people would have rated quickly ahead of Barrett. But I think after the playoffs that everybody had, Barrett has probably reassumed his position like near the top of the young core. Who would be number two to you? It's very close. Um, I'm still going to say Emmanuel quickly. I thought uh, you would say Grimes. Yeah. Uh, Grimes, is. it would be a close number two. Um, here is what what happens with Brunson is this is this is something that hurt the Knicks. It can be tough to – I'm not putting this on him. I think he's a willing passer. I don't think – like I hate when people use the phrase selfish player um, in general. Just like, like I think Randall has bouts of bad decision-making. I don't think Randall is selfish. I think he's a willing passer. I just think it's difficult to make those reads, and, you know, it's a, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of – you know, and people have said that about Brunson, too ISO heavy. I think what quickly brings is the ability to push the pace – and to like operate as a connector who can move the ball, who can penetrate, who can capitalize both on the advantages Brunson creates off ball, as well as create some and, and get Brunson some opportunities off ball too. Um, so I think he really amplifies Brunson. And I mean, it's been three years now where the on-off has been huge with quickly because he does so many little things, especially on defense, but just to help grease the wheels and, and make the team play better. You know, he's probably still the best team defender, certainly on the perimeter. Um, you know, he's great at pushing the pace and getting people involved. He's a great off ball mover. Uh, another thing, another thing I didn't talk about with RJ, but the Knicks, um, I think it was Ariel Pacheco who mentioned this, but a lot of people have talked about in the playoffs, the Knicks really unleashed the guard screening, right? Whether it's Hart, RJ, IQ, Grimes is really good at it too, but IQ is a really good screener. And because he can pop and hit a three, he can roll and, you know, t- on the short roll, he can, he can hit a floater or he can find other guys. Um, you know, you, you don't really want to switch necessarily depending on who the other player is on him. So he, he, he amplifies Brunson a lot. Um, and overall, like, look, the offensively it was tough, but his last couple of games before he got hurt, I think he was, his process was better. Um, you know, I think that he was, he was not shooting the ball well, but there, like there was one step back he got killed for because it was a long two. Um, and it was early in the shot clock. But if you look at that play, he, his defender stumbled and he stepped back and he didn't get back to three point line, but he was open and it's a shot. The Knicks guards are empowered to take. And it's a shot, you know, it's the kind of shot that earlier this season, RJ was not the exact same kind of shot, but RJ was taking 
some of those floaters and fadeaways early this season, which people hated um, and, you know, probably hurt the Knicks at the time. But in the now you can see that that has been core to his development because unleashing that little 10 to 15 foot game makes RJ devastating, devastating in the paint. And I think with quickly, it's some of those, you know, the step backs, the long threes, that is, he, he needs those things to be special. The other thing with quickly that, you know, it's been, it's been kind of linear growth from quickly as a, as a rookie, he was limited as a defender and he was mostly a three point pull-up specialist who could run some pick and roll. And other than that, it was just the floater, right? Which wasn't that great. Last year you saw, he added more to his game at the rim, improved as a passer, but you needed to do it consistently. This year, you saw him do it consistently all regular season, I think. Maybe the first month or two, he wasn't great. But he was able to get to the rim a lot. Um, and then the next step now is that in the playoffs, when he wasn't able to, you know, he wasn't getting foul calls, he he shied away, I think, a little bit. And, and some of it is that he doesn't always get to play with optimal spacing. Um, I think he benefits from Brunson a lot. I think IQ struggled because we didn't see a lot of Brunson paired with quickly. Um, and I think it helps him to have that because often he's, if he's playing with Hart and Obi, there's not a lot of great spacing, right? Um, but even in, despite that, um, you know, he's at his best when he can attack the rim. And I think, you know, with Allen and Mobley in the Cleveland series and then bam, I would like him to, I would like to see him figure out ways to make that a more functional part of his game in the playoffs. That's where he needs to, um, he needs to improve. But in terms of who amplifies Brunson and and who, who is the best pairing, the data supports it. I, I still have to go with quickly. Uh, I think Grimes showed a lot as a shooter. They, the, the Grimes is invaluable on this roster just because he's probably the, the most threatening shooting guy. You know, Evan Fournier himself, I think, said that you know he realizes his time is coming to an end. So when it comes to shooters, it's really Grimes. who can He has the high release. He can get it off even if he doesn't have space. Uh, he's a good mover. And... Um, and his abilities as a point of attack defender, where he is the best point of attack defender on the team, you know, help you hide Brunson a little bit. Um, and uh, RJ deserves credit there too. He really took a step forward on defense. So Grimes is right there with quickly, but I would still put a quick put quickly above because he helps um, he helps you get the benefits of Brunson, Brunson's isolation and, and pick and roll scoring ability while also keeping the other guys involved um, and uh, and helping to play with pace. Um, so keep the Knicks from kind of getting stuck in into isolation basketball. You saw, the, especially in the Miami series, when he came back, how evident it was immediately. Just having Grimes on the floor, just as a presence, not even necessarily as a shot maker, but just as a presence, uh, particularly in Game Five when he played all forty-eight minutes, and then you know, even in Game Six didn't shoot well one of six um from the field but he still played 32 minutes because you just can't leave him alone the big thing i'm looking for maybe more than anything among the nick young players development next season and i don't know if this is a confidence issue because i remember or if it's if it's a confidence issue or if it's what his role allows because grimes i feel like in his rookie year there were things like he wouldn't try that you saw in year two and i it could be confidence, but I also think to some extent, like Grimes in year one was much less likely to attack a closeout all the way to the rim than he was this year. Maybe that's confidence. Maybe that's Thibodeau gave him more more room to play with. This series, particularly against Miami, the number of times where Grimes would get a catch, the closeout is coming, he would go past the defender and stop at about two feet, wheel around, and pass it right back out to Brunson or 
whatever guard is behind whoever was behind the the arc setting up i got i i i think it would be invaluable for this team next year for grimes to go up to the next level where we saw it in the regular season but let's see i don't know like more of a a 15 foot pull up game you don't always want to go all the way to the rim okay like watch clay thompson look at all the things clay thompson can do attacking a closeout not just shooting i think if Grimes, i think grimes leveling up could be enormous like for what this team's could be could be like next year if they have a player like that who can add that wrinkle to his game yeah i mean it's um and you saw it like i think one heart like heart struggled in the miami series um especially after he had the big shots in, in game two but um you know after he was arguably maybe the Knicks' third best player in the Cleveland series. Uh, well, Mitchell Robinson was great. But he, Hart was one of the I, – I don't know if they beat Cleveland without Josh Hart. So really important. Came back down to earth a little bit against the Heat. You know, people have to remember it's his first big series. But the Hart-RJ pairing – the thing is this, right? Even if RJ improves as a shooter, you still want him really getting downhill, which is tough for him to do when, when Hart is out there. I think it works a little bit better when they, they have RJ running a side pick and roll in those situations rather than Brunson because Brunson's more like you can't really leave him open from three. Even though he didn't shoot the ball well, I don't think the, the Heat wanted to give him open catch and shoot threes. But um, but that's what Grimes adds, and it's especially important on this team where they don't have another wing shooter. Um, so um, and he's you know he's more effective at the point of attacking quickly. He gives you so many things. I hundred percent agree. Like a mid range game would be better um in terms of the development and what the source is i think his ball handling has just gotten a lot better and the knicks have made that a point of emphasis um i i don't blame you if you didn't watch summer league but in summer league they were running a lot of the offense to quinn grimes the, the quinn grimes that we saw in summer league is not the same player as his role is on this knicks he was he was creating he was getting assists he was getting to the rim he was finishing through contact um he is a plus athlete he's not a great athlete but um, and if you remember, or you know, he was actually he was rumored to be top five, top ten pick uh, as a, as a, he's supposed to be a one and done freshman going into Kansas. Yep. One of the you know McDonald's All American, all of that, uh, and he struggled because. But coming out of high school, he was an on ball combo guard guy, and it's a credit to him that he reinvented himself, moved to Houston, and and reinvented himself really as as this three and D guy. But they want him to have that, and he showed it. Um, and in terms of confidence, I mean, the guy tried to yam on Jimmy Butler. It, he probably got fouled there, but that's another example where certain players are going to get calls. Nope. Um, but um, but that, to me, showed that, yeah, the confidence is much better. But I think his ball handling has improved. He's a little bit quicker. He has some change of direction ability. Um, I think, yeah, the mid-range pull-ups, it's probably something they haven't emphasized as much because that's not, you know, those aren't always the shots that they want. Um, but that would be helpful for him to add. A floater would be really nice. I think he has great touch. Um, we know that the Knicks have emphasized floaters in their development. Quickly, obviously, likes them. RJ has added a floater to his game. Brunson excels at them. Uh, so I think that those would be positive things. But even even if this is what Quentin Grimes is, and he just he's able to be more consistent as a three-point shooter in the playoffs, he gives you so much. He's a smart passer. He moves off the ball, sets good screens. Um, like He's an elite point-of-attack defender, I think. Um, he's also a pretty good team defender with some some mishaps here and there. Um, but for a first playoffs, yeah, it was, it was really good. And, um, you know, I think, I think still, you know, you look at RJ, you know, Mitchell Robinson is still only 24, 25, um, Grimes quickly, 
Um, these are this is a real young core. This is not Knicks fans getting excited about Frank Milikina or Kevin Knox having a couple of good games at the end of the season. These are guys who showed up even quickly. Like the offense didn't come, but I thought he was exceptional defensively, particularly late in that Cleveland series. Um, game three, the, the 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 job he did on Darius Garland was exceptional. I thought his defense was still really good. He got bodied a couple times, like Kyle Lowry, but I think people are really, <clears throat> I think the people who are down on Quickly's defense tend to like underrate team defense and overvalue point of attack defense. Uh, and then I think probably the the reverse happens with people who think that Grimes isn't as good of a defender as maybe he gets credit for. Um, I tend to lean a little bit more towards team defense, but but what Grimes gives you at the point of attack is so important in playoff series and being able to get away with Brunson on defense. Um, just him being able to juice the offense a little bit more, I 100% agree with you. Um, I don't know that Clay Thompson-type heights can be reached, but we've seen other guys like that really thrive, guys like Desmond Bain. Um, you know, Just adding that off-the-dribble stuff makes them so tough to defend when, they have, when you have that kind of shooting gravity. I got it. Chris Middleton, too. Obviously, you know, just putting one and two together. Um, I'm going to say one thing about Julius Randle because my views on Julius Randle are mostly known. Um, I'm not blind to the flaws and the concerns, um, but we all have different feelings about things. I, I don't know if this is reason for optimism or not because there's so many variables and there's so many things you can dissect to try to just to put a label on what Randall is or what Randall was. I was encouraged in the Miami series, not by Randall's production, but by certain changes in his process and in his approach on the floor. And one of them, I complained about it in the playoffs, really up until probably games, probably until, until the series went to Miami. Randall is not someone who improvises well. Randall is someone who I think achieves success by a lot of repetition and putting himself in in positions and in spots where he knows what his options are and he goes to them and and there it is. When he has to improvise, it's remarkable. In this series, he hit a fadeaway, I believe in game four, going to his, and he was falling to his, I think his right. And it was... I literally think the first time I've seen him hit a shot fading to his right. Like I call him like he's not there's no way he makes that. And it went in and I was stunned. So he's not an improviser. I think especially in the playoffs when things are happening very fast, it really stands out that like, oh my God, like why is he making these mistakes? Because he's not adjusting on the fly. That's not his thing. But I was encouraged in this series, especially once it went to Miami, that he stopped with the ultra predictable I'm only going to take threes or I'm only going to get to the paint. He started mixing in mid-range stuff. He started mixing in some of the baseline work that had been like a gimme shot for him a couple years ago. And you don't want him going away all the way from what made him successful, which was his shot diet became like hyper-efficient. It's this and it's that. And those are the two most efficient spots. It's fine. But it was obvious in the Cleveland series that that was becoming predictable to defenders. And it was obvious early in the Miami series that they knew the same thing. I don't know if that's you finally have a good point guard and they were able to help coax Randall into that. If it's something one of the coaches, so I have no idea. And maybe it doesn't matter because even though I wrote this in a recap, like if you're a Randall half glass, half full, you can say every every series of his life, he has improved his shooting each time. 
He has improved his assist to turnover each time, but the numbers still aren't good. His shooting went from 30 against Atlanta, 34 against the Cavs, 41 against the Heat. His assist to turnovers went from awful to, I think he had one more assist against the Heat than he did turnovers. I don't know if I'm looking for light wherever I can find it because he's my favorite player, but I did think that that was the kind of change that somebody makes when they're starting to learn. And he may not be, I hate to, I don't know what his capacities are all the way as a player, but I do think that he's someone who showed some development. You can certainly make the point that it's not enough. You can certainly make the argument that Randall is the person they should look to trade. He's the oldest of all their good players. He's the most expensive of all their good players. He will have value around the league. He has probably shown more obvious limits at the highest level of competition than certainly Brunson has to this point. Barrett in a lesser role hasn't shown them either. There's a lot of reasons that it makes sense to look to move on from Randall. But I felt like I saw some signs of growth from him, even if the end product wasn't there. But Matt, he kissed his wife after the game. I mean, what a monster. I wish I was big enough to fight Kenya Martin because I'm, I've been sick of that motherfucker since he played in the league. I hated when the Knicks got him. Hate, he's the only Nick I think in my life I just ever could not root for. I didn't even bother to finish reading what his comments were because I don't need to, to know them. Um, but officially here and now, fuck Kenya Martin. Yeah, I mean, it's we don't have to spend too much time on. I don't even want to dignify those comments, but it's Gilbert's pod. He likes to be provocative. They like to get views and stuff like that. But that was just and in yeah, like you know, I get why so many ramble like Randall. You know, I don't want to say Randall Hive or whatever, but like I get why like a lot of the criticism feels over the top. Uh, that was just completely uncalled for. Like, wh- where are you going with that? Um, and you know, I think for, you know, for all of the frustrations that fans have had with him, um, I think the fact that, you know, I think he was nominated for as a finalist for the NBA community assist award. Um, you know, he's, you know, we've seen him be active in the community. We've seen him, you know, even, you know, last year when he was struggling and people were like, Oh, you know, is he fun to, he has all these tantrums and all of that. He himself said that Johnny Bryan asked him, do you think you're a fun teammate to play with right now? And ask yourself that. And that's what helped him change this year. Um, but his teammates have always have liked him, even in some of the worst stretches and w- where it seemed like, you know, people have said, oh, he yelled it quickly, he yelled at Fournier. Like, his teammates have almost, to a T, all, all like him a lot. Hartenstein talked about how when he was going through a rough stretch, Randall was really um, important in keeping his confidence up uh, and c- continuing to help him grow. Um, so getting back to what your original... Why I am why I, my stance after this playoffs is that whatever this final iteration, this championship contender team looks like, um, you know, whenever they get there, I don't expect Randall to be a part of it. Um, is the same reason why I, I highlighted RJ amplifying Brunson's game is I just don't think Randall does that. Uh, I don't think they amplify each other's games. I think Brunson helps Randall to the extent that, um, you know, he, that Randall doesn't have to do it all. Um, that, you know, Brunson can can draw defenses attention and and get Randall da- going downhill attacking a closeout as opposed to having to create so much for himself. Um, you know, Randall is a is a walking double team. I guess I don't know if that's the right way to phrase that, but uh, he's as soon as he gets the ball, 
inside the arc pretty much, he is getting an extra defender. They're not letting him. There's very few players. Miami had was lucky enough to have a player that yeah. they could could guard Randall with, um, which I thought would really turn the series because you know if if Bam is occupied by Randall, and I think that it's probably worth noting that Brunson was able to go off, and and part of that is you know when Bam's not in the paint, it, it makes some of those drives a little bit easier. Um, so that helps. I'm, I'm not going to diminish that, but it's still a lot of take turns basketball with Brunson and Randall. And I don't think that's on Brunson because when he plays with not necessarily Obi, but when you, when you, you don't see take turns as much with Brunson and RJ, you don't see it with Brunson and IQ. Um, I think, you know, those are the things where, you know, and, and it's tough because, you know, if Brunson draws a double and passes it to Randall, if he's not open, like he, he, he often just struggles with quick decision-making. Ariel had a really good um, clip where, and it's not just that he takes too many shots. It's just, he needs to, if it's a shot, take it quickly. If it's a pass, take, make it quickly. It, it's just, it, it takes him time um, to process, survey the floor. Um, mm-hmm. Ariel had a clip where, you know, they, they pass the ball up to Randall in the, in the front court. So it's a, they're, they're playing with pace, something the Knicks have struggled to do is against Miami. He had a defender kind of on his hip, but a little bit behind him. The only person at the rim was Kevin Love. Bam was still late coming back. So Randall had a lane to drive with only Kevin Love in the way. Now, it might be because he had a couple of charging calls before, but he also could have just pulled up from three. He had enough space to do that. But instead of doing either of those things, he he caught the ball, and then he did like his like little jab step and just waited. And, And you lost an advantage, right? You had lost an opportunity for an easy bucket. And, um, and you like, you know, when the ball is swinging around, he's often doesn't recognize that there's a shooter right next to me, right? Instead, he'll hold the ball and try to do something. Uh, or sometimes he's open and, and he'll pass it up. Uh, or sometimes he's, they're not closing out hard and he pump fakes. And then he takes two dribbles and takes a, a contested shot. And it's like, you know, we just need him to be faster. And that, that is where it becomes difficult to construct a very dangerous offense with him playing such a fundamental role. Um, and, you know, I, I don't even think, he, like, people talk about the spacing. I don't think he's really an issue with spacing because teams really don't want him taking open threes. Um, you know, I, I think he's fine as a shooter from that perspective. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't amplify, like, if Brunson's creating advantages or RJ's creating an advantage and gets to Randall it's often we lose that advantage because he isn't able to quickly. That's, that's the biggest advantage that he'd had over the Knicks as a team, right? As soon as, whether it's Lowry, even if it was a small advantage, Lowry might not be able to get all the way to the rim, but he has one guy in rotation. Then he passes, the Knicks recover, the Heat pass again, pass again, pass again. Uh, it was like watching, you know, some of those vintage first team, the way the ball was moving around. And the Knicks have showed that. I think the Knicks showed that excellent. Like, it's still the Jalen Brunson show, but there, I think other Knicks are able to play off him and make those quick decisions and maintain advantages, even small ones, better than Randall. Um, and that's one thing. But even that would be fine. You say, okay, what you lose in that, you still have this 6'9", 250-pound wrecking ball with you know who moves like a ballerina, like someone who's 50 pounds lighter. Like you'd still take all of that, but then there's the other end of the floor. And um, he had some really good defensive moments. I think part of – I don't think Tibbs does him as many favors as you'd like by having him play drop. Um, but he's not an intuitive help defender. Uh, the effort often leaves a lot to be desired. I know he was, you know, he had the ankle issues, but realistically, this is a thing that's been true his whole career. 
Uh, you know, we can't see consistent effort from him. He's really good at switching on the perimeter. I wish they just switched more screens with him, but that can be a little bit problematic if you have Bam being guarded in the post by Brunson or something. Um, so it's just, um, and I, I don't think, um, you know, he is a very good rebounder. Um, and he's just good at like bodying guys. He doesn't box out well enough. And there are teams that can, can take advantage of that. So I don't think rebounding is a problem. But I think in order to fit, in order for me to be confident, I either need to see him be be the kind of defender he's capable of being, um, just, just on his physical tools alone. And all that takes is really effort, even if he's not some preternatural help guy. Just just making the right closeouts, making the right rotations, contesting, um, you know, being active. I mean, there's so many times when he, like, he doesn't put his hands up on defense, you know, and there's just no excuse for that. Um so, you know, either the processing needs to improve on offense, but at this point in his career, it's probably is what it is. I think you can live with that. You can't live with him not being a more impactful defender also at the same time. Um, and, um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I hate the armchair psychologist stuff, but it is frustrating to see him, you know, spiral. And like when one bad decision kind of counts and, and he goes, you know, you, you want him to be a little bit mentally stronger than that. You know, um, it's, I mean, the guys who are bringing this up, Alan Hahn brought it up, right? He brought it up specifically that he doesn't see Randall as a long-term piece for this team. The next day, he threw a not very subtle shot. Uh, He didn't call out Randall specifically, but he he said that, you know, Joel Embiid uh, turned the ball over, but he hustled back. Uh, And that might be a little bit unfair, right? Because there probably are plays where Joel Embiid does that too. But, um, But the thing is, like, and, and, you know, I, I was talking with John Schmuck about this and he pointed out, you know, RJ still isn't great at screen navigation and Brunson's an immense liability in isolation defense. But the thing is, Brunson gives you so much on offense, right? If you're going to like if you're going to be a liability, you can't be a liability on both ends or you can't or if you're a liability on one end, you need to be giving a ton on the other. So even when Joel Embiid is dogging at times, he still gives you so much. Randall isn't good enough on offense. He's not good enough as the primary option, and he's not good enough as a secondary option to make it worthwhile. Uh, and so that's that's where I'm at with him, and, and he's 28. So, um, you know, that doesn't mean he's old or a finished product completely, but it's concerning that we're still seeing these things. Um, so I just talked a lot. I definitely hear you on, on the reasons for encouragement. I like the guy. Um, you know, he seems to be a good personality, good person. Um, and he gives you some things that other players just can't. Um, but those flaws are tough to work around. Um, and, uh, and the last thing I'll say is Schwinn kind of mentioned this on, on one of our last pods. You know, um, when you think about, you know, when Tom Thibodeau is, goes to bed or whatever and thinks about what do I need to surround Brunson with, right? There's not a whole lot, right? You probably want some good defenders around him. You maybe want another ball handler. You want some shooting. But it's not it's not tough to build a team around him. That's, that's a good offense. Right. And, and even, you know, you can, you can hide his defensive liability with Randall. There's so much you have to think about, right? You need someone, you need a, a rim protector because Randall isn't great at that. Uh, but you also need shooting around him. Uh, you need someone else probably to, to be the primary ball handler and creator. Um, you need probably good perimeter defenders. It becomes a little bit tougher to construct really good lineups around him. Um, and so that's why that's why I think his impact on a team is not quite as much as his talent and his best performances might indicate. 
we're gonna have to do clearly at least one more episode just recapping this this everything because there's still a million i gotta run now but there's a million there's still a million things we haven't gotten to um that we need to talk about with this team but i will leave you with one last question because if i forget to point it out now i know i will never think of it again and it deserves a little moment in the sun when you saw mitchell robinson busting out the post up in the second half i think of the game were you because I, I was in a when it's when your team when the Knicks are playing an elimination game, like my brain is either happy because something worked generally or upset because it didn't. So like even late in the game, as brilliant as Brunson was, if there was any possession where like <clears throat> it didn't work, I'm like, oh, he really should be spreading the ball around more, which is nonsense. Cause if he makes another basket, I'm like, man, Brunson's unstoppable. Were you pleased to see Mitch trying out this new dimension? I because I mostly was. But then my mind was also like, wait a minute, elimination night is when Mitch decides he wants to try a post move against Adebayo? What did you think of that? Um, I mean, I think Mitch got like 30% from the free throw line for the series. Ironically enough, his best shooting stretch <laughs> with Akashakton. Uh, basketball gods punishing Spolstra. Right. Um, I think it's something that they need to continue to develop because – less than when Adebayo's on him, but like, you know, you, you make it tougher to switch screens, right? You make him more effective in pick and roll um, against the, um, against teams that are going to be aggressive against Brunson. Um, more than a post game, I just, you know, there were so many times when Brunson got trapped by a big and they would, uh, you know, he, he wasn't able to trust Mitch to like take a dribble in the paint and, and do something or pass the ball, but he improved there. Uh, I, I'll, I'll finish with this. I, I was, you know, I, I was in the mode of like every possession counts. And yeah, I don't want him posting a bam in an elimination game. Having said that, the Heat did not have a very good point differential. And part of that was their shooting was much worse in the season. But the other part of it, I think, is that Spolstra is willing to experiment and try different things at the cost of some regular season losses. And it, it nearly completely backfired because they, they were playing team. They didn't even secure a playoff spot and they had to play the number one seed. But you know, there might be something now that the Knicks have established an identity. Um, you know, it, it might be worthwhile to try some of these things a little bit more in the regular season. We know Tibbs wants to win every game and is going to coach like that. And that I can't argue with that. But, you know, this is how you, you know, you maybe give Mitch the ability to, to exploit a mismatch once in a while. Right. You know, if you talked about what you want to see out of Grimes, you give him a little bit more creative freedom in the regular season. And it might cost you one or two games. But. Uh, the upside in a series, you know, that's the trade-off that uh, the Knicks will continue to explore as they uh, as they move forward in this era. All right. <clears throat> that's all for part one of what I assume will be two or three parts, because there really is just, there's people we haven't even talked about. There's entire concepts we haven't even talked about yet. Um, <clears throat> I'm very excited about all of it. We will be with you again after monday which is it monday no sorry we should talk after tuesday because tuesday is going to be um possibly a big night depending what happens with dallas and the lottery um, but either way we'll have things to talk about after that so definitely stay tuned the recapping of the season is nowhere near done um please remember bet online is presented by no vice versa the believe nicks podcast is presented by bet online also presented mostly by stacy and i um, Stacy, good to see you. Looks like it's very pretty where you are. Enjoy your day. Um, and everybody else out there, enjoy yours.
happy Mother's Day to uh, to any mothers listening. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. As a, as one of my ex girlfriends' fathers once pointed out to me in an extremely unexpected moment of quiet comedy. Uh, oh wait, no, I got it backwards. Sorry. He taught he told me Father's Day is a celebration of motherfuckers. It's not Mother's Day, so I got that backwards. <laughs> but props to all the moms out there. Dads, your day will come soon. Uh, everybody enjoy peace we will talk to you in a couple days thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube